I hope you have your Bible and you join me today in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We are here now in the month of November. Can you believe it? Already in the month of November. Seems like yesterday we were out hunting Easter eggs. And now we're in November. But uh, glad you're here today. As we go through this next few Sundays leading us toward Thanksgiving, I want to turn our hearts and minds toward reasons why we need to give thanks and right reasons why we can give God all the praise and glory. And so today we're going to talk about how important it is that we be givers rather than getters. We live in a culture and a society where people are focused on getting things, but Christ is calling us to do the opposite. He wants us to learn to give. So we want to talk about that why. Why is it that way? Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we dive in today. Father, as we come to your word, this is your word. It's not mine. It's your truth. You are truth. And Lord, we need to know the truth that can set us free to live life the way you intended us. So would you help us today to hear you? God, would you open our ears? Don't let us be deaf. Lord, would you open our eyes? Don't let us be blind. Lord, would you cause our minds to be clear right now so that we can listen? We can have hearts that are tuned to your spirit that we'll know the truth that will set us free for all of eternity. Help us learn the principles you've given us to emulate and to live out in our lives so that we can be a better example of Christ to the world around us. And it's in his name we ask and pray. Amen. Now, when the psalmist starts off in Psalm 24, and I love Psalm 24 the way it starts, and we sang a song earlier where we actually quoted the verse in the song. I don't know if you, 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 you would know this, but we did. That, that, that's how God does these things, but... When the psalmist starts Psalm 24, he gives us a telling statement about the reality of the world that we live in. Now, this isn't a reality that people readily recognize or see, but it is the truth about the world we live in. Now, the psalmist says it this way, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and those who dwell therein. Now, what's he saying? Well, he's noting an eternal truth that spills into our present reality. If you want to summarize it, you can say it this way. God owns it all. You hear that? God owns it all. It's his. It belongs to him. And since this is true, not if it's true, but since it's true that God owns it all, why in the world does God want me to give? Does God need me to give if he owns it all? (laughs) What's the point? Why does God want me to be a giver? Why does God want me to give the money that he's entrusted to me back to his kingdom work? If it's all his anyway, why why do I need to do that? Uh, Why does God want me uh, to give my time to the work of his church? Why is that important that I be connected and, and committed and involved in the work of the church? Why does God want us to use our talents and our abilities in serving His purposes on a daily basis in our daily life? I mean, why is that really important that we give that back to the Lord and give that to our culture and give that to our society? Why doesn't God simply just do all of this on His own, needing nothing from me anyway? Have you ever thought about those questions? Now, those are important things to consider, important things to think on. Uh, and that's precisely the point of what the Apostle Paul is writing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So I hope you're right there. Now, listen, we're fixing to get on our horse and ride. This is 24 verses. And, and, and some of y'all just, just about panicked. I saw it in your eyes. This is going to be the longest sermon in the history of the world, Brother Matt. No, it won't be. If we'll get on our horse and ride, we're not going to trot, we're not going to saunter, we're going to ride. You, you with me? All right, but we are going to move quickly through the chapter because I, I know this. The Apostle Paul, in this chapter, in writing, he's telling us the mission that God has for giving. 
Why is it that God wants to use giving in our lives? Why does He want us to be giving generous people? Not just with money. Say, oh, Brother Matt's going to preach on money. No. I'm talking about everything. Every worldly good you own. I'm talking about your talents and abilities that God's given you. I'm talking about the time that's so precious to us on a daily basis. I'm talking about it in everything. We have to have a mindset of being giving generous people. And there are good reasons for this. And so that's what Paul will spend his time with in this passage. Paul knew that there were some wonderful reasons to give. And as a matter of fact, in his farewell address that you read about in the book of Acts, when he was talking to the Ephesian elders on his third missionary journey, in that address that he made to them, he reminded them of how hard he had worked to be generous with them and not become a burden to them. As a matter of fact, he challenged them to remember that there were weak ones all around them, people who were struggling all around them in their world and their community who needed help. And when Paul finished his address to them, he gave them a life-changing principle from Christ that will change your life today. It really will, if you'll consider it. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 35b, I think it's on the screen there, uh, Paul wrote this. He says, Now the Lord Jesus gave us these words. Remember them. He said, It is more blessed to give than to get. I just paraphrase that. That was redneck. It's more blessed to give than get, right? No, he's more blessed to give than to what? Than to receive. So Jesus had given this principle that is very important. If you and I can get a hold of this principle and apply it to our life, I'm telling you, it'll change everything about the way you live. It'll give you a whole new perspective that your life is not about you. It's not about what you can get. It's about what God wants to give through you to the world around you. How he wants to change you and in the process change your culture and change your society and change other people. That they'll come to know Christ the way you do. So that's why, in a, in a nutshell, it's more blessed than to give than to receive. But, but why is it? I mean, practically speaking, why is it more blessed to give than to receive? How could this be true in a society driven by making a dollar and taking all we can get? You know, how, how can giving outpace getting? How could that be the case? How could this be true? Well, God has a mission for giving. So that's what we want to look at. The plan that He has to change us into the image of Christ to make us just like Jesus, to be walking, talking, living, breathing examples of who Jesus is and, and Him living in us. That is the plan that God has for us. He wants to put into us a spirit of generosity and that will change our lives as we change the world. And so God wants to do this every day in our life. Now, in the closing chapter of 1 Corinthians, now today we're in 2 Corinthians 8, but this is important to know. In the closing chapter of 1 Corinthians, that was 1 Corinthians 16, in verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul had already written to the Corinthian Christians. He'd already instructed them about something he needed their help with, a way that they could become generous and give. He said, I want you to join the churches in Galatia because they're giving an offering, a special offering, to the Christians who are living in Jerusalem. See, in that day, in their time, there was a famine going on in that part of the world, especially in Jerusalem had been hit hard, and people were having a hard time feeding their families. They were having a hard time living. And the Apostle Paul wanted to be able to show that Christians are generous, giving people. So he said to the churches of Galatia, and then here are these churches in Corinth, y'all need to give. Again, that's a little country, right? But that's it. Y'all need to give. And uh, there's people that need your help. And so he encouraged them to do this. And it was in the book of Romans later that Paul will commend them 
for their gifts. As a matter of fact, uh, Romans chapter 15, verses 25 to 27, he says this, But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia, that's the people in Corinth, and that's also people in Thessalonica and Philippi, all right? He, he pleased those from those two re- regions to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. And he goes on to say, It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors, For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister them in material needs. Look at this little phrase. He says, they are their debtors. Who's he talking? Who's they? He's saying that the Christians who live in these two regions called Macedonia and Achaia were in debt to the believers living in Jerusalem. Now you say, wait a minute. That's kind of strange. They'd never even met each other. How could they be in debt to one another? Well, here's what he goes on to say. He says, if the Gentiles learned about the spiritual things, he's talking about learned about Jesus and how to be saved. If they learned about that from the believers in Jerusalem, then their duty now is to help support those who are in material need. What's he talking about? He's saying this, that we're investing. When we give, we're investing in God's kingdom, investing in spiritual realities by material means. Listen to that. Think on that. When you give to the Lord and to His work, whether it's your time, your talents, your money, your resources, whatever it is you give, you are investing, you're an investor in a spiritual reality that you cannot see with the eyes, but you'll experience with your heart. You're investing in a spiritual reality that must be demonstrated by material means. And that's, a, that's an important thing to think about. So don't think about, oh, well, we're just going to give a tithe and offering, and we're going to check that off our list, and we're good to go. It's not just about checking a list. It's about investing in a kingdom, a kingdom that's coming, that's already here, that's on the horizon, that's going to appear more and more, and when Christ comes, it'll burst on the scene like a bright light that'll change the world. So we're preparing for that day. We're getting ready for that moment. And Paul's heart was for that, that kingdom, and his heart gave them a heart for that kingdom. He, he, he saw that change take place in their own. So, so God taught them that giving is better than getting. Giving is better than getting. So what did they learn? All right, so it's about time to get into 2 Corinthians 8. Y'all ready? I told you we're fixing a ride. Get, you got your seatbelt on, right? You ready? All right, verses 1 and 2. Here we go. Let's go. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of of their liberality. Now here's a first truth that Paul's going to point out right here in these first two verses. That God has a mission for giving because he wants in giving, he wants to display our dependence upon his provision. In other words, God is chose people who are poor by material means to demonstrate his great grace that he wants to give to the world. In this passage, Paul's talking about the Christians in Macedonia. That was probably some of the folks like Lydia who lived and her people who lived in Philippi or some of the other folks who lived in Thessalonica, a couple of cities in that part of the world. And Paul had already been there and he'd seen the poverty that they'd encountered and what they were struggling with. He'd also seen their commitment to Christ and how much they loved the Lord. And he he gave us a formula. Look at this. This is amazing to me in verse 2. He gives us an amazing formula for giving. He says here that great trials of affliction plus deep poverty in your pockets equals abounding joy and generosity. Liberality is the word he uses there, generosity. 
Now, here's the question. How in the world could heavy affliction and, deep po- and empty pockets bring about joy and generosity? You know what the missing ingredient is that he mentions? Grace. God's grace. When you learn to rely on God daily, give us this day our daily bread. When you look to the Lord for grace every day, when you look to the Lord for His goodness, when you don't trust the world system and don't trust yourself, but you trust the Lord, when you depend upon His grace that is sufficient for your need, God will multiply your joy and your generosity. And He will do something that is amazing and beyond what you could ever imagine. It reminds me of a story in the Old Testament. First uh, Kings chapter 17. Y'all might know this story. Elijah was in a great famine just like they had in Jerusalem in Paul's day. He was in a great drought. It hadn't rained in forever. And people were starving to death and couldn't find water. The Lord told Elijah, Elijah, go to a village called Zarephath. When you get there, there will be a woman. She's a widow. And she's going to take care of you. When he got there, he was probably thinking, okay, good, a widow's going to take care of me. Boy, he's imagining this mansion that she lived in on a hill. He's seeing servants coming out with with food and bringing water burgers to him and and fresh bottles of Dasani water. I mean, in his mind, he's going to have it made. She's going to provide for me. When he got there, guess what she had? A handful of flour and a little bit of oil. She could make a root if she's from Louisiana. And he said, Lord, that ain't enough. Lord, Lord, that ain't enough. And the Lord said, watch this. <laughs> and that lady took that flour because she was willing to give. And here's what's amazing. He asked the lady to make him a cake, a little something to eat. And she said, sir, if I give you this, there's not going to be enough for me and my son. And we're just about as good as dead at that moment. But, but because you're a man of the Lord and I trust you, I'm going to give it. And she gave, even in her deep poverty, like Paul's talking about. And she trusted in the Lord's grace. The Lord she couldn't see. But she trusted Him. She knew He was there. And she made the cake. And you know what happened? God multiplied it. Do you know that every day when she went back into the pantry, guess what was there? Flour and oil. Every day, until the drought and famine stopped, every day it was there. And she'd use it up every day, and every day it'd be right back there. It was miraculous. It was a miracle. It's God's grace. It's God's grace. And so that's what Paul's talking about. Listen, God wants to display His grace through your life, but you've got to give. You've got to be generous in your heart of your time and your talents and your monies and your resources if God's going to use you like that, if He's going to do that in you. So God will show up and God will show out when we show Him our full dependence. That's what He's saying. When we're trusting His provision, the truth is you can't outgive God. He's given us our life. He's given us our breath. He's given us His love. He's given us His Son and a future in Christ. He's given us who were takers, who were getters. He's given us all that we didn't deserve so we could give back to Him. And that's what Paul's saying. It's a wonderful principle to get down in your heart. So then in verses 3 through 5, he moves along in their mind and he shows them another one. He says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, and he's talking about, again, those churches in Macedonia, According to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were free, freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. What's he saying? He's saying that God wants 
us to give so it will create in us a drive to see His work thrive. That's what happened to Macedonia. Listen, these people were, who were in such great poverty, they gave as much as they could. Why? Because they knew that God was capable of even doing a lot with their little bitty bit. They wanted to see Him miraculously multiply the gift so that they could start themselves being a part of the work. In other words, they wanted to get in on the miracle. <laughs> Have you, you ever thought about that? God, I want to get in on a miracle. Can I get, a part, can I get in on that? I'd like to get a, be a part of that. I'd like to invest a little bit, Lord, in your kingdom, and I want to see you do a miracle, and I just want to have the privilege of saying I got to be a part of you doing something great and grand and glorious. And you know what? That's what Paul's saying. These folks realized, and so they didn't start with money. What did they start with? Themselves. They said, God, we're going to give you ourselves. I read, heard a story about a little girl that the offering plate was coming by one day, and she took it and set it down on the floor between the pews, and she got up and stood up in it. And the, the, the usher said, girl, Baby, you can't do that. She said, oh, i got to give myself to the Lord before I can give him my money. And she's right. That's what Paul said they did here in Macedonia. They gave themselves, and then they were able to give what he gave them. And that's what happened. And so they gave the Lord everything. They had a drive to see his kingdom thrive. Today, when you go to your Sunday school classes, you remember last week we did a little activity where we had a prospect list. We started praying for people in our community we know who need the Lord and we want to see come to the Lord. And so today, we want to take you, take you the next step with that. It, you'll have little blue cards when you get there, prospect cards. We want to encourage you to be praying for those prospects, but also trying to find out their address and their phone number and fill out that card and say, well, why is that important? Because by doing that, we're showing we have a drive to see His kingdom thrive. We want to see people come to know the Lord. We want to reach out to people. We want to continue to minister through our community. And so Paul mentions this again. Look at verse 6. He, he, he says this about his friend Titus. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. So what was happening was this. Paul saw the fire that the people had, the, the drive that they had in Macedonia. He wanted the people in Corinth to experience the same thing. So he told them, I'm going to send Titus down there to you. Titus is going to be kind of like a fire starter. And so Paul was so excited about what Titus was going to be able to share with these people to help them be a part of the miracle, to be a part of God's work. Uh, it makes me kind of think of a control burn. Y'all seen them do this in the woods? in the national forest especially, but even sometimes in these big pine, pine orchards, uh, and usually in the early spring when it's still cool, still damp, they'll go in and they'll intentionally set some little fires, not to burn down the woods, no, to burn out the undergrowth, right? And they do that to protect the timber. They're wanting to protect the big, heavy, huge trees that they're growing by burning out the undergrowth, the trash that's growing out underneath. Because they know if that stuff keeps growing and getting thick, it could start a bigger forest fire that could burn it all down. So in order to protect it, they have to burn out the undergrowth. Well, that's what Paul's doing here. He says, I'm going to send Titus. He's the control burn. He's going to come in and he's going to spread a little fire for Macedonia your way. He's going to get you excited. Why? He's trying to keep you from letting greed take hold of your heart. If you'll give, if you'll be a giver, greed won't take over your life. If greed takes a hold, there'll be no growth in the kingdom. Listen to that. If greed takes a hold of your heart, there'll be no growth of God's kingdom in your life. And so Paul understood that. He said, I'm going to send Titus down there to help you, to encourage you, to be a, a burning bright light for the Lord. He wanted to see God's fire spread to others. 
He wanted them to be a part of that too. So look at verses 7 and following. He said, verse 7, But as you abound in everything, in faith and in speech and in knowledge, in all diligence and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Now Paul has said a whole lot right there that's really important, and we don't need to miss it. Back in verse 7, he was pointing out to them that he knew about their giftedness. And he was so proud of how they'd been using their spiritual gifts and their natural abilities that God had given them. He says, you've been involved, man. You've been in your faith and speech and knowledge and diligence. You've been serving the Lord. You've been working hard. He says, but listen, don't lack this one thing. Don't be willing to help out a brother who's hurting, who's struggling. Don't forget those around you. And, he, and of course, he's mentioning in particular those in Jerusalem. That's what he's thinking. But he, he points toward Christ. He says, you know, the perfect example of this is Jesus. When we were at our weakest moment, when we were beyond reach, when we were broken and bankrupt in our soul and our spirit, Christ Jesus gave it all for us. When we were bankrupt, he emptied, he emptied the halls of heaven. He left the glorious kingdom in eternity. He walked down dusty roads on our behalf, and he went to a, a, a cross where he paid with his life. He went into a dark, dank tomb. But on the third day, he rose again so that we might become rich in what's really important, spiritual life. And so he's talking about that in verse 9. He says he's given us more than we could ever need. So he's highlighting here that God's greatest gift to us. He says that's what giving does. When you give, you're following the example that Jesus gave. You're showing that God's given you the gift of spiritual life. And so now you want other people to have it too. So you're going to invest in this kingdom. You're going to invest in the church. You're going to invest in what God's doing around the world, in mission work, in ministry. And, and that's why we need to be givers, because we need to be able to share what Christ has done with uh, for us. Now, pick up again in verse 10, and he gives them yet another principle. Look at this, verse 10. He says, And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, See, because it was a year ago he had first asked them about being a part of this offering. But verse 11, But now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. So he's saying, listen, you told me a year ago that you would do it. Remember, that was back in 1 Corinthians 16. He'd asked them about it, and they said, oh, we'll do it. He says, so what I'm asking you to do is get it ready. <laughs> if you say you'll help us and give to the offering, then do it. Just commit. Be ready. Be ready when, when we come. In verse 12, For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that what one has, and not according to what he does not have. I, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be supplied their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be Equality, as it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Now, what's he talking about in verse 15? Paul is going back to the Old Testament for a minute, and he's talking about when the Lord gave them manna from heaven. Y'all remember this story? Some of you know this story. Moses and about 
probably two million people were wandering off through the wilderness headed for the promised land. On the way, they ran into a food shortage. Can you imagine that? Imagine that. Uh, Whataburger couldn't handle all two million of them. I mean, it was, they were overwhelming the drive through And uh, so the Lord said, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to provide for you in a miraculous way. So every morning when they woke up, God had brought bread down from heaven during the night. These little, little bits of bread were scattered all over the, the desert floor. And the Lord told them, he said, now when you go out, I want you to hoard up as much as you can get, right? No, that's not what he told them. What did he tell them? How much were they supposed to get? Just for the day. Give us this day our daily bread. All right, so he said, just go pick up enough for today. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. Why was he telling them that? Because tomorrow he's going to do it again, right? He's going to do it again. Now, there were a few of them who didn't listen. Imagine that. Baptists who don't listen, right? I told you, Moses was the first Baptist pastor. And anyway, so there's a handful of them that went out there and they hoarded up a bunch of it. They got way more than a day's worth. They got a week's worth of, of, of this manna. And they hid it in their tents. Well, the next day, Moses was walking through the camp and he goes, Whew, what is that smell? My gracious. And he went over to somebody's tent and said, Whoa, something bad in there. And they looked. And sure enough, they had too much manna. They did more than what the Lord told them to do. And what was going on with that manna? It was rotting. And there were maggots in it. Yeah, it was nasty. Oh. And the Lord said, I told you. Trust me. Depend on me. Let me do what I'm going to do through you as you're faithful to listen to what I tell you and give as I told you to give. And so the Lord, the Lord gave him this principle to think about, that God will meet our need. That there's an important thing to learn here. Sacrifice is an important part of our daily life. We have to sacrifice ourself and our selfishness if God's going to bless us with what we need to give to His work. Did you hear that? It reminds us of a widow. There was a certain widow who Jesus talks about in Luke 21. She comes into the temple area. And, and she's got her offering in her hand. And there were other people who'd gone before her who were wealthier and had more. And they gave their offerings. And their offerings were a lot more. The sum of it was a lot more. But when she came, she dropped in two small coins. And Jesus made a startling statement about that lady. You remember what he said? He said, she, out of her poverty, has given more than they've given out of their wealth. She gave all that she had. She sacrificed. That's what he said. She's, she, she sacrificially gave. Now, that's the principle that the Lord was trying to teach them in the Old Testament with the manna. It's the principle that Jesus outlines with the widow, and it's what Paul's talking about here. That don't worry about the sums being different. We get worried about zeros a lot of times. He says that's not what God's worried about. God's not worried about how many zeros are on that check. God's more concerned about what's going on in your heart. Are you willing to sacrifice for Him? He sacrificed it all for you at the cross. Are you willing to say, Yes, Lord, I'll be obedient and I'll be sacrificial in the way I live and the way I give. I'll be sacrificial in all that I do. So Paul's saying here that to share in sacrifice is, is better. It's, it's more important than the sum of our gift. And uh, I heard somebody say it this way. It's about equal sacrifice, not equal gifts. Think on that. That's really what it is. It's about equal sacrifice. We all have to sacrifice. We all should share in that. That's what Paul's talking about. There should be equality in our sacrifice, 
But there's not going to be equality in our gifts. I, I can't give as much as some can. You can't give as much as others can. We're not all, we don't all have the same income. We don't all have the same talents and abilities. We just don't. It's okay. We do what God gave us to do. If God said, give a dollar, you give a dollar. If God said, give me $10, you give $10. Whatever God puts in your heart, you be a cheerful giver and you give what you can. That's what Paul's telling them. Do what you can. Do what you know you can and be sacrificial in the way you give it. We need to be content with what we have and give what Christ commands to His work. All right, so look at this. Pick up in verse 16. He says, But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. In other words, Paul said, I didn't have to fight Titus to get him to come down and see you. He's ready to go. He's ready. He's excited about it. Verse 18. And, he, and we have sent with him the brother whose praise is the gospel, in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with his gift, uh, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us. In verse 21, he says, Providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. Now, he's mentioning Titus and two other men. He doesn't name them by name. He just talks about them and about their sincerity and their honesty and their uprightness and their, their diligence in the Lord's work. So what's he talking about? He's saying this, giving gives you an opportunity to promote honesty and order in the church. As we give, we have to be orderly about the way we do it. We have to be upright and honest in how we receive it and how we use it. And so giving is another way where we're participating in the order of God's kingdom. Seeing His kingdom come. Listen, God's not a God of chaos. He doesn't like people to doctor the books. God wants people to have honest scales, to deal honestly with Him and with everyone else in all that they do. And the Lord wants us, as we give, to be faithful with what we give to handle it the right way and to administer it and to give it the right way. That's what Paul's talking about. There's three men who are coming because we need accountability and we need people to be honest and upright in their dealings. And these men are going to work with you to help you prepare the offering for the people in Jerusalem. Paul's saying don't think that this is all going into, the, into Paul's uh, luxury tax and Paul's vacation fund. He says that's not what this is about. He says this is a gift for God's work and these three men together are going to verify it and make sure it's handled in a wise way. Well, there's a lot of wisdom in what Paul's doing in this moment. But let, let, one last thing that he mentions in verses 23 and 24. Boy, this is so important. This is getting to the heart of the matter. Look at this. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. What's he saying? He's saying, practice what you preach. Have an open heart and have open hands. When these men come to you, you open your heart and your home and hands to them and take care of them and help, let them help you prepare to have an open heart and open hands to the people who are in Jerusalem. So he, he's showing them that as we give, these are the things that God does in us, in His church, so that He can provide for His kingdom and His kingdom can continue to move forward. Well, you say, well, Brother Matt, there's a lot there. Boil it all down for me. You know why I can boil it down this way. It's better to give than to receive. It's better to give. If you'll give, 
as the Lord tells you to give, not the way the preacher tells you to give, not the way Joe so-and-so or Sally Joe tells you to give. If you'll give the way the Lord tells you to give, then your life will be on the right track and His kingdom will continue to move forward as you watch the miracles take place around you. Let's go to the Lord right now in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for what you're going to do in the days ahead. Even in our church here, this church in Fairview, you've called us to a great task that sometimes we look at and we say, Lord, we're not ready for that. Yes, we are. If you're ready for it, we're ready for it, Lord. So would you help us to do something that's beyond what we could imagine? Would you help us to be a part of a work that's greater than ourselves? It's your work. It's not ours. But thank you, Lord, that you want us to have a part in it. Lord, help us to give ourselves completely to you so that you can do your perfect will and work in us. Listen, there may be someone in this room today, in your heart, you know you don't belong to the Lord. And even in your heart right now, you realize, I've never given myself to God the way these people in the story gave themselves to God. If that's you, if you've never given the Lord your life, would you be ready today to do that very thing even right now? Could you say in your heart that you really believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin? And would you be willing to accept that gift from God today, that grace? If that's you, if you want to be forgiven of your sin and you want Christ to be in your life and to lead your life, would you pray this prayer of faith with me? Would you simply say this, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive my sin? And would you take charge of me? If you'd pray that prayer and you'd really mean that with all your heart, even today, right now, He will forgive your sin. He will come into your life. He will take charge and guide you through life. Today, if that's your heart and your desire and your prayer, would you put that before the Lord wholeheartedly even right now in prayer? Maybe there are others today who say, Brother Matt, I really want to be a better giver. I don't want to be selfish. I want to be generous with my time, my talents, my money, everything. I want to just do what the Lord wants me to do. Then tell Him that. Would you pray that? Lord, help me to be generous in everything in life. Help me to be a giver. Be paying attention to where you're at work and join you in your work. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to honor you in the way we live. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things and pray. Amen.